gentlemen, welcome to the Art of Disruption podcast from Tabare, bringing you the world's best artists and gallerists wherever you are. Welcome everybody to the second episode of the Art of Disruption podcast, brought to you by Tabare, a brand new African-owned platform all about great art from Africa. This is your host, Will McBain, and I hope everybody is keeping well wherever you are. To our listeners in Nigeria, where thousands are currently protesting to end police and military brutality through the ongoing NSARS protests, and to our listeners in the UK, as that country goes into a second national lockdown. But I hope before that happened, some of you did manage to get down to the 154 Contemporary African Art Fair the other week. And you got to gaze upon great arts in person again, after months of closed galleries, uh, mask wearing in public and social distancing. Just saying those things continues to seem strange, and we can only hope that next year's 154 goes ahead with full crowds in Marrakesh, New York and London again. But right now on today's show, we are featuring one man who's attracting huge numbers of plaudits and fans, both at home and abroad, largely off his own back as he continues to sell pieces throughout lockdown on his social media platforms. He was featured on Afua Hirsch's recent brilliant BBC documentary series, African Renaissance When Art Meets Power. And it's true to say he is a living embodiment of art meeting power, as through his work, he continues to challenge the increasing mismanagement and corruption resulting from Kenya's uh, increasing relationship with China through his China Loves Africa series. It's resulted in the Asian superpower sending its agents to try and intimidate the artist at his Nairobi studio. They failed, and he continues to go from strength to strength. I am speaking, of course, about the one and only Michael Soy from Kenya. He's going to be talking about nightlife and the vice in his hometown of Nairobi and how it inspires his work. Also about his China Loves Africa collection and how he's moving on from that now. And also about the lingering effects of British colonialism and what it's done to leadership in his country. So all of that coming up in just a moment. It's a pleasure to introduce today Michael Soy, who was born in Kenya in 1972 and he's been working in Nairobi since 1995 after completing his fine art and art history studies. Soy is inspired by contemporary life in Nairobi and his work provides what's been called a photographic diary of his city, painted in a satirical and commentary style that the artist has become famous for worldwide. His work explores relationships including those between corrupt rulers and their subjects, heroic wives and their alcoholic husbands, Europeans and Chinese agents and the Africans that they're competing over to exploit, and sex workers and their clients, the economics of love, as Michael Soy calls it. His paintings are unique and brightly distinctive, both playful and biting, and they are a continuation of a strong tradition of cartoonists whose work has satirised Kenyan society since independence. The establishment are wary of him, but the public love him, and his China Loves Africa collection explores the dynamic and problems concerning China's growing role in Africa, and it's a collection that's brought him both international fame, but also a little bit of controversy. And I started by asking him whether the coronavirus pandemic 
pandemic and Kenya's lockdown earlier this year affected this prolific artist in any way? No, to be honest with you, I've been, um, it's never stopped for me. I've been in the studio since January. And uh, I think basically what COVID has provided for me is more like, uh, you know, you get less visitors, which is very welcome for me. Right. You basically just like lock yourself in the studio and and do your thing. I have made so much work from January to date. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a... Uh, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it's something good about, you know, uh, about the pandemic or anything, but I mean, yeah, I think for me it's worked, like, too well. I I have uh, had a continuous amount of time that was completely uninterrupted by either exhibitions or, you know. So I have just created work. Yeah. And then also, like, uh, I think... Uh, may have been taking time to kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know, do a lot of uh, pushing of my work through social media, through the internet. It's also paying off because now all of a sudden people found themselves with so much time in their hands. You know, people weren't going to work. And uh, since uh, people wanted to like uh, keep in touch with everybody else, so what they did is that people turned to their phones and to their computers. Mm. So... Basically, what that created is, uh, you know, a lot of traffic, you know, when it comes to, you know, people looking to like, uh, okay, fine, I have the time. What do I look for today? So look for art. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worked magic for me in, uh, in so many ways. I mean, irrespective of the fact that, I mean, uh, if, uh, if I can talk about clients or people who buy my work, most of them are like people got them from the internet. Mm. But, I mean, now there's, uh, there's been so much traffic in... Uh, in terms of, you know, the interaction that you have, because now people have the time. You have the whole day, you're not going to work. So there's a much deeper interaction with the work and, you know, people asking you questions and, you know, that kind of thing. That's great. It sounds like you've really used this time to be creative. I uh, I know from personal experience that's not been so easy. But I wonder whether this pandemic and various governments' response to it will inform your artwork in the future. It depends. It depends because uh, also, like, I mean, looking at uh, where I come from, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's uh, it cuts across most African governments or African countries. It's like, I mean, there's always very little or no support at all to the arts when it comes to governments. And, uh, you know, uh, for me, I mean, I think I'm one of these people who basically just, like, decided to, like concentrate on what I do, you know. I don't want to kind of like, you know, have expectations that A, B, C, and D is going to change because this and this is going down at this particular. Me, to be honest with you, I'm just doing my work as normal. Uh, I am in my space. I am doing my thing. At the end of it all, I will have my shows. And, you know, you go back home and and fall asleep and wake up in the morning and repeat that whole thing. It's also, like, important to, like, learn that, uh, you know, for, 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 for us as artists who live and work in Africa, you know, um, people will never be able to kind of, like, give you the kind of support that you're looking for. So it doesn't work like that here. So for me, I mean, I think it's one of these situations where you're, like, literally, you are on your own. And what you do... Um, you know, to basically, like, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you remain relevant as a creative person is 
the amount of energy and sweat and blood you put into work that is all that matters right now brilliant thank you sir yeah um t- talking of your work i mean your work really captures and brings to light uh, the things that are hidden and not spoken about yes um, are you grateful for the sordidness yes. in Nairobi and what it shows about the human condition? No, to be, <laughs> I'm actually like very, very surprised that you picked it up, you know, because most people don't. Um, a lot of them will always look at it from the humor point of view. Basically, people look at it and laugh for like a minute and walk away, completely missing the point. Mm. Uh, my work is basically uh, one that seeks to kind of like you know tell these stories about cities like Nairobi or cities like uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not very sure about Accra but I mean you know um, uh, you know cities like uh, Dakar cities like Dar es Salaam you know where you know there's a there's a thriving trade that basically goes completely unreported you know uh, this is a commercial sex work. Mm. And um, the reason why I took an interest in it is because of the denial that exists in these communities about, first of all, the people who get uh, entangled in it, people who engage in it, people who benefit from it, and you understand? So for me, I mean, it's more like, uh, you know, having to get to a point where you do research around this body of work and, you know, go to all these weird places. But I mean, for me, what I'm doing, I just think I'm documenting this city. I am not creating these things in my head. I am going to these places, sitting, observing people, doing their thing, and documenting it. Because, I mean, like I keep on telling people is that, I mean, whenever people talk about uh, this country as a destination, you know, you will be told about, you know, there's stories about Kenya being this, like, really beautiful country with hills and mountains and rivers and uh, and a very nice, clean coast. But people don't, or people, don't tell you about the social aspects of this community and you know there's a lot of activity that also like goes on um you know with the tourists that come to this country you know mm. um the, the the older women the older men who come here and marry 15 14 year old girls that kind of thing nobody talks about it and uh, you know for a lot of people most of them would be like oh my god these people are so nasty they're coming to like get married to small little girls. But what people don't know is the fact that these girls are sent to those old white men by their parents. You understand? These kinds of very uncomfortable truths that, you know. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, yeah, these are the kind of things that I want to talk about, you know. Heavy subjects and kudos to you for having the guts to report on it. And it makes me think whether you see yourself as a kind of historian of modern day Nairobi. And I also wonder whether your city's sex workers are encouraged by you shedding a light on their reality. No, the, the, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of the sex workers, I mean, for them, it's, oh, my God, you need to share the money you make because we are your subjects. You understand kind of attitude? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, to be honest with you, uh, for me, I mean, I, 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 I began this body of work because I wasn't interested in the women. I was following the men. The men are basically the people who fund this trade. These are the people who are like direct beneficiaries of, you understand? And, uh, and, and, and these are the people who I decided to follow because of the ignorance that exists in this society about who engages in it. You talk to any woman and ask them if they know anybody who goes to prostitutes. They don't. Yeah. You understand? 
but it's a big, huge business. So the question that begs is, who is going? You understand? And the answer is all our male relatives. You understand? Our fathers, our uncles, our brothers, our work colleagues. These are the people who are going to this. And to be honest with you, I mean, uh, in a places like uh, in Nairobi, you know, if you want to like know that this is big business, it's when you begin to have sex workers coming from the Ukraine, coming from Romania, working in Nairobi. This is where you know that there's a demand. And, you know, you can't get these people if there's no money to be made here. So, yeah, I mean, that is, uh, for me, I mean, it's more like, uh, you know, trying to tell a story on how basically like uh, men here uh, perceive women. Women are seen as implements of uh, of pleasure for the men in terms of, uh, you know, you go and strike a deal, you make a million dollars and you need to celebrate. What do you use? Alcohol and women. You understand? This kind of... So this is what I'm trying to tell. But I mean, if you... To answer your question, I mean, I don't see myself as a historian or anything. I am looking at myself as somebody who's just documenting certain moments in this society. Thank you. And, and do, do you think your work makes men feel uncomfortable? Do you ever notice any, any downward looks when men come to your exhibitions and feel slightly awkward? Or, or, is, or is this this realism that you show um, appreciated by the men that view your art? No, my problem is not men. My problem is the women. <laughs> you know, I... I get accused of creating work that, first of all, is demeaning to women, you know, because why do you have to, like, show images of naked women? Do you want to tell us that men never get naked kind of attitude? You understand? But, I mean, for me, I mean, what I'm trying to do is uh, I'm trying to basically show them how, uh, how African men basically, like, treat women. You understand? But, I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, it's this whole, you know, I mean, I want to call it feminism in quotes, you know, kind of attitude where, you know, mostly like very, very young women, you know, people in their 20s and, you know, that kind of thing who like, uh, you know, since you have a blog somewhere, you need some relevance kind of like, you know, so I mean, yeah, it happens. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest with you, for me, I don't care what I what I am doing is, I mean, I've uh, been labeled like, you know, a very controversial artist, somebody who's like, you know, I'm not controversial, society is, what I'm doing is, I am just documenting certain moments, yeah. certain things that we love to do, but we do not want discussed openly. Yeah. That is what I'm documenting. Thank you. I, I mean, myself and others, perhaps many others, see your work showing that shows the long suffering and strength yes. of women. I think specifically of your work that shows the the woman uh, carry or carrying her man to work in the wheelbarrow. I mean, women are the yes. bedrock of uh, the societies, perhaps. Yes. Um, yes. I, I mean, just in a nutshell, how would you like to be remembered for how you told the story of Kenyan women? I don't know, you know, because I mean, I don't. I don't perceive myself as somebody who's like, uh, I'm not trying to create any change. I am not trying to kind of like, you know, create awareness. It is not my, you know, there's people who are paid to do that kind of work. Uh, for me, it's more like uh, documenting and telling stories. So, I mean, I'm doing it for posterities. And like uh, 40, 50 years from now, people sitting in a classroom can get a book and go through the book and kind of like, you know, get a good impression of what Nairobi was like back then. That is what I'm doing. Great. Me, I'm just happy to make the work. I am happy to go to these places and observe the men. I follow the men, not the women. I follow the men. So 
go hang out look at them and you know and uh, and kind of like you know uh, just document what i see you know your focus is on um, portraying the, the men. Um, but if I yes. could just ask you one final question in terms of the women. When you when you see uh, Lupita Nyong'o wearing um, bags with the, with your yes. artwork on them, um, yes. d- d- does that please, does that give you a sense of satisfaction and, and does that perhaps show that there's a growing recognition of your work in Kenya? No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I will view her as any other ordinary Kenyan. You understand? And, uh, and for me, you know, uh, what, I, what I find, uh, like, appeasing or what I find satisfying is basically, like, also trying to create art for the masses, as in opposed to, like, creating art for a select kind of group of people who, you know, you go to all these fancy galleries and, you know, places where local people do not have access to. You understand? My work is kind and greatly inspired by the public. So I want to create a body of work that any Kenyan looking at it can relate to in a way or another. So I'm not going to do that by going and taking it to all these fancy high-end galleries in the world. You understand? I am trying to kind of like, you know, make it accessible to local people as possible. And I mean, you slowly and gradually begin to build uh, an audience of local people. I'm looking at places like uh, like Ghana. I'm looking at places like uh, uh, Nigeria, you know, uh, South Africa, places where, you know, you could actually like uh, sell a few pieces here and there to local people, which is at the end of it all what we like would love to see happen. You know, um, I spent uh, three months in, uh, in Accra. Uh, I had a residency there and I did an exhibition at uh, uh, on the 1957 gallery. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, it was interesting to kind of like, you know, uh, note that I mean, uh, something like half of the work that I sold the exhibition was actually bought by local people, you know. Mm. Very, very encouraging, you know, as in opposed to like, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, the best of African art basically does not even reside in the continent. It lives in Europe and America, you know with people like the Yinka Shonibaris of this world and, you know, all these big, huge names, you know, mm. who live in London, who live in Europe and, you know. So you kind of like, you know, I'm one of these people who would feel very, very happy knowing that uh, something like three quarters of all the work I did uh, would remain in the continent, you know, where it is most relevant, you know, where it is most, you know, it, it, it speaks to people because... We also like you know have to suffer the unfortunate event where we get people from the west who come to buy our art for interior design purposes. You understand? Yeah. And uh, you know uh, when whenever whenever they decide to change the carpet in their house, that carpet will go with your painting because now you know. So somebody else will be sent, or that person will go and buy another artwork that now matches the new carpet. That kind of you know that is not why we do our. You understand? It is not for interior design purposes, basically. I think I'm happy if uh, you know the bulk of my work actually remains in the continent. I'd be so happy. That's that's a great answer, and perhaps that that influenced you some years back yeah. when you gave so much of your work um, away to Africans for free. But I yes, I mean it 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 was uh, it was basically like an attempt to kind of like you know now start building that kind of like audience and following. So 
that got funded by an organization to just create work and you know uh, at the end of it all they thought that i would sell the work but i mean i decided to give it out for free because yeah and uh, it actually began a movement because now i mean uh I can safely say that uh, like 10 houses in Nairobi that have art in the walls I can say that two of those paintings are mine you know yeah. it's it's it, it, it's a it's a good place to be you go visit friends and you get your paintings hanging on somebody's house it's great you know I can imagine but you but, but, but you think that the culture of um of buying art in Africa amongst Africans yeah. is is yeah. is changing at the moment do you think it's increasing it is but i mean also like uh basically like also want i mean i have a lot of issues with it in terms of i mean people doing what they do or do you do it for money are you doing it for money and you know i tell people that uh i don't do art for money and and a lot of people laugh at me because i mean everybody will tell you that oh my god you are one of the most selling artists in nairobi so what do you mean is this like I mean for me I mean I have chosen subjects that are very controversial you know and I really didn't expect anybody to like let's say for example buy a painting of a strip club scene and go and hang it in his house you understand for me what I decided to do is that I decided to look for alternative ways of making money you know so now what that does it gives me the freedom to walk into my studio and do or address any kind of topic that i feel i want to address without having to think about markets yeah. so it's a very nice place to be you know you are not working for the market you are working for yourself you know i will i will go and sit in a strip club and do a whole body of work of like 40 pieces just evolving around the things i'm seeing in there and people will be like who the hell buys this kind of work for me i mean i really don't care you know all i want to do is I can finish that piece, get a good quality image of that piece, store it in a hard drive and that's it. I can paint on top of the piece if I wanted to. But what I found interesting was the fact that this kind of work actually sold a lot. People are like interested in it and you know, I don't know why. I don't know where people hang it, you know. <laughs> But do I care? I don't care, you know. It's uh, me I have achieved what I wanted. I wanted to create that piece. I have documented it and I'm happy. I have moved on, you know. What do you think Kenyan leaders learned about British colonialism and um has that influenced their growing relationship with China? <laughs> uh, well, this is uh, I don't really want to speak on their behalf, but I can speak on my behalf. Yeah. Uh, I mean as uh, I'm one of these people who have a lot of uh question marks around the british and <laughs> no offense no no offense taken <laughs> you, know? you know and uh you know i think what african leaders learned from the british they learned it very well uh, they learned how to divide and conquer divide and rule you understand mm. uh, there's still a lot of trauma that's been left here by the british mm. you know uh economically socially you know and uh uh you know uh, if you look at i mean a lot of african okay let me give you an example of a country like kenya right now please uh, it's a country where the british still have a lot of influence you know uh, irrespective of everything that they did here you know with their small concentration camps in 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 in, in central kenya you know how they killed people here you know and, and that kind of thing and uh 
you know, uh, the conspiracy, you know, that exists between, uh, you know, that whole Kenyatta family thing, you know. Yeah, this country has become, let's give them independence and let's pick this guy and put him there because this person can protect our interests in Kenya. You understand? Yeah. That effect is still ongoing up to today, you know, which is like, you know, so I mean, a lot of, I mean, there's a... As ordinary Kenyans, because, I mean, we went to school, we were told that Kenyatta was a hero. There's a lot of question marks around that man, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's one of these conversations that might go on and on and on and on. Trust me. It's one of those things. You know? Thank you. I, I mean, from your many regular visits to, to the UK and from uh, from the news in recent months, do you think that yeah. Britain is, is now ready to start having this conversation amongst ourselves? Is it something that we can face up to at this time, do you think? Or are we still away from I don't that? Think so. I, 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 I don't think so. I think, uh, unfortunately, I think uh, uh, the British are very good in living in denial, especially around um, issues that revolve around colonialism in, uh, in Africa. Yeah. I don't know about places, you know, but, uh, you know, when you hear about the massacres in India, the massacres in places like Kenya, you understand? Uh, the, I don't know. You know, for me, I mean, uh, I'm one of these people who who basically, like, you know, uh, poke a lot of holes into history. And, you know, if you look at, uh, let's say, like, the issue of somebody like Adolf Hitler and... Uh, and the and the German Nazi occupation of Europe, you understand? Yeah. Uh, the issue of uh, the Jewish whatever, you know, uh, he killed six million Jews. You understand? Yeah. And then you come back to people like King Leopold of Belgium, huh? who is on record having killed more than ten million people yeah. in the Congo. You understand? And amputating many more. Yeah, and 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 and. and and you know, and 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 you 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 basically come back to history, and Adolf Hitler is still the worst person in the history of. You understand? Yeah. There's a lot of things that, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 let's not talk about politics because I mean this is one of the subjects that I try as much as possible to like keep off. Yeah. Because yeah, you'll you'll lose friends, you know, <laughs> because people view things differently. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know? True, true. It, it can be a tinderbox, but at the same time, these are important important um, conversations and important questions to ask. Now, I, I'll, I'll ask you one one more question in terms of yes. um, uh, how, in terms of the Venice uh, shambles yes. and debacle yes. in two thousand and thirteen and two thousand and fifteen. Do do yes. do you think the art community in Kenya is is more robust now? Is more recognised now that something um, like what happened in Venice in those years, will ever happen again? It happened again. It's also like I mean, now this time around, the the culprits were not foreign; they were local people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. you know. Huh? Apparently, we had uh, we had a pavilion that uh, had an opening and then was closed the following day until the end of the Biennale. You understand? Yeah. That kind of thing. It's just like I mean, it's uh it's one of these things that basically led me to like just do my own thing. Yeah. You understand? Uh, I, I mean, I was uh, very instrumental in uh, in the last Kenyan pavilion. I tried as much as I could to like have something done properly, and I just realized that uh, 
this is a kind of thing like it's so difficult it's like trying to boil the sea you understand yeah. just things that won't work <laughs> so you wash your hands and move on you know and i mean i swore that i would never get involved in such kinds of things ever again let me do my work i'm happy in my studio i am happy with what i'm doing and you know that is all that matters perfect perfect i've got, yeah. got, got two final questions on the work you're doing um so in, in a recent interview you said you were ready to explore something else and i say that in relation to the the huge body of work you've done concerning china's relationship in in africa but but do you think the growing relationship between china and africa will allow you to focus on other things um no i mean the thing was uh the china love africa series was basically like uh something i started a few years ago and the intention was to do like five pieces and uh you know as uh, the population of chinese people in africa began to grow uh, new aspects of this whole relationship started coming up so i ended up doing 15 and then 20 and then 25 30 40 it went on up to like i mean but when it got to like 99 i felt like you know 100 was a good number to stop at because I also didn't want this whole thing to consume me because I mean even today I have so much material that I could basically like you know put on that kind of body of work but I mean I felt like uh, this was a uh, one of the most successful series of work I've ever done and I wanted to just leave it at a nice round figure of 100 I my basically like you know uh, the, the the reason was also like you know there was a lot of demand for that body of work you know I have sold every single piece I made in that series. So I just decided, you know what? I have had enough. Let me just stop at 100 and move on to other things. And now the the whole thing about COVID and you know all that. I mean, it's uh I think it's still too early to kind of like, you know, uh you know, think about it because I mean also like, you know, there's a lot of question marks about the origin of the virus itself, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of theories, you know. <laughs> there's uh, stories that it was created in China. There's stories that it was actually created in the US, you know. It's it's it's, it's one of those. And so I'm yep. just waiting to like, kind of like, you know, just get a, a good sense of, you know, what what it is that you know where where it began and you know the history of whatever and you know maybe probably I might do something maybe yeah but i'm not like really kind of like you know excited about like you know we'll just wait and see we'll we'll be very excited whatever you come up with or whatever way you decide to tackle this um yes. <laughs> and final question how how do you think the growth of social media will affect yeah. yourself and other artists in the 21st century. Will artists still need agents and galleries to represent them or or, or will things ch- <laughs> or will things change? No, it's interesting because I mean for me I've completely resisted that whole issue of representation completely. Mm. And with good cause. It's due to the fact that I mean, you know, um a lot of these people who turned you know the curators all these agencies and stuff when you are struggling you are by your own you understand and then it gets to a point where you begin to sell work and then everybody now basically oh my god this guy is doing stuff and you know everybody wants a piece of you but i mean also like uh, i think for me it's because i felt like uh, the kind of work that i do is uh, is one that would very easily relate to 
um, people here, as in opposed to like, you know, uh, being put in an atria somewhere in Europe and, you know, people look at it as like, what the hell are they doing? You understand? Well, when it comes to like issues of public transport, you know, the minibuses and, you know, they wouldn't make any sense in places like America or Europe. You understand? So the African story basically is uh, is one that basically has to be told in Africa. And, you know, for you to understand this thing, you have to have lived in Africa. You need to have spent some time in Africa and, you know. But, I mean, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's just too much work trying to kind of like, you know, have an exhibition and you have to like go and explain every single thing that you've done. So, I mean, for me, I'm just happy in the sense that uh, I make a very good, comfortable living off my art. And that is all that matters, you know. I, if people want to like, you know, I mean, I've, 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 uh, I've worked with agencies, I've, I've worked with curators here and there. But yeah, you know, like very short term engagements, you know. Excellent. Because I'm also trying not to let them tie me down, you know, yeah. with contracts and stuff. Yeah. Social media, social media has played a very big, huge part in it. Because I can tell you this for free that 75% of my clients are people who basically just exist on social media. Wow. Most of them, I have no idea who they are. Wow. Somebody sees something and they want it, and you know, take it out of a stretcher roll it, put it in a mailing tube, and ship it to them. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's created. A, a whole different kind of like uh, audience for you know for for my work you know as in opposed to like a long time ago when people had to physically travel to come and see my work in galleries and you know that kind of thing so nowadays i mean it's all like you know the world has become very small you know so somebody opens up a page looks at like you know and within a minute or two you've sold a piece so it's worked like it's, it's basically changed a lot of things and uh you know, I mean, if you look at, I mean, also like a lot of the galleries, big galleries over, like trying to create a very big, huge online presence right now because social media is seen as the way to go. Yeah, it does. And, and I think uh, social media and online galleries can only boost the market within Africa. And it also means uh, there's no physical gallery for the Chinese to come and disturb you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Very welcome. Yeah, it's been a it's been a great privilege to hear from you and get your take on things. Glad, glad, I'm glad. Cool, cool. And so, yeah, any of our listeners who don't know, um, go to at Michael Soy Studio, and you can see some more work from the great master. Thank you. All right, great to speak Bye. to you, Michael. Wish you all the very all right. best. Uh, thank you. That was the Art of Disruption podcast with Michael Soy. And in the coming weeks on Fridays, we will be hearing from either an artist, gallerist, or tech contributor from within the African art scene. So in the coming weeks, we'll be hearing from Ghana's Serge Clotty and Ablade Glover. And we'll also be talking to Superfluid Labs, who are building an artificial intelligence model specifically for the African art market, and that's in collaboration with Tabare, to help give accurate estimates of the true value of art. So until then, keep well and join us next Friday.